It's September 25th, 2023. It's Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. Henry Threadgill is in the studio with me. We've been talking about the some of the mighty, mighty tenor titans from Chicago. Henry Threadgill's from Chicago, and he started out as a tenor saxophonist and strongly identified as such, later becoming more of an alto player. And he talks about, well, you probably heard him talking about how he made that choice along the way. We've been talking about John Gilmore in particular, and specifically outside of his best-known work with Sun Ra. Now we turn our attention to another giant, very well-known in the Chicago area, less so in other areas, but enormously respected among the community of musicians and far beyond, and that is Yvonne Freeman. And we're going to hear his words and his work in this hour. It's deep focus. And Enjoy. probably the Andrew Hill yes. point of departure. Don't, all of this material is up. And McCoy. And McCoy, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it seems like people were really drawn to him. Yeah, you know, uh, he was a force. You know, it's uh, it's hard to describe. You know, like I said, just the, uh, the impact of... Uh, uh, um, of a person playing music live, you know, uh, th that's the whole thing. Is li as uh, we come from, we we come from live music. Now we trans we're, we're transitioning to um, a bigger day of electronic music. But electronic music impacts impacts us in a different way. The effect to stand in front of, uh, like I said, like when I was a kid, standing out in the middle of the street on a Sunday morning at 6 o'clock in the morning in front of Howling Wolf, that was <laughs> <laughs> extremely powerful at 6 o'clock in the morning. Or even if it had been midnight, uh, what these... I mean, when I, I mean, what train was given up when he was playing? When you saw this, I mean, the whole bandstand would be, would be wet. He and Elvin, the, the floor would just be soaked with yeah, water. Yeah, oh, wow, I can imagine. I mean, I, I remember that with Elvin. Yeah, you know, I never had the opportunity you had hearing. Yeah, I mean, you know, live music that what people put out. You know, it, that was even the same th thing with Bob Marley. If you ever saw him live, I did up I close. Did, yeah. yeah, especially if you got up close to him in a small space. What he was putting out was like, yeah, it was enough to give you a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, the energy. <laughs> yeah, the energy was unbelievable, you know. So, um, Gilmore is, see, Sunrise has a, uh, is, is a whole philosophical school. It's, this is not just um, a music concept, this is a bigger, grander concept of, of the universe and the world, all combined, you know. And Sun Ra is one of a number of leaders that <clears throat> that we had in Chicago. And some people that came, that had been connected with him, like Phil Coran, mm -hmm. he was the first person <laughs> to try to um, employ me when I was a kid, you know. When I, I wasn't ready for it, I told him, I said, no, it's too soon for me. You talk about but, that in the yeah. book, yeah. Uh, John Hauser, who is not mentioned, 
John Hauser was one of our teachers. This was a, they also play in uh, Father Hines Band. Mm-hmm. S- played opposite Bird. And he taught us all how to read stock arrangements. He was a great composer. He wrote music concertos for saxophone and orchestra. He was, and he taught so many of us. Uh, he didn't come, there was no philosophy. This was just pure basics and technique uh, so that you could negotiate being able to read music, you know, because we had never really seen printed music, you know, what we call stock arrangements, you know, and it was a number of us would go to see him, and he was kind of like um, Captain Diet. Okay, yeah. Yeah, he was an extension of Captain Diet, and he was outside, and he taught in his own studio and stuff, you know. And then, so you had Sunra, you had Hauser, and you had Captain Diet. And then Muhal and Phil Coran came along, right? This was kind of an ex- further extension of where Sunra was coming from, in a way, you know, because it had to do with original music. Mm-hmm. See, that was the big premise. All of a sudden, the the hierarchy of what goes at the top now is original music and not looking to the old concepts, you know, so we had all, and then there was another great um, composer that I considered really great. His name was Orlando Murden. Hmm. Orlando Murden wrote for Once in My Life. Wow. Wow. He wrote the Stevie Wonder song? No. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Never knew that. Orlando Murden also wrote Trilby that Ama Jamal recorded and the opera singer uh, Martina Arroyo she used to do it, but he was the person that taught Alice all of the stuff about the harp, and her and trains to go to see him. He had all the information on modes. That never really came out. That's why I thought I'd say something yeah. about it. But I used to play part. When I first got in college, Joseph Jarman and I used to, he used to, bring us to play parties at his house. We used to make incredible amounts of money playing at these parties. <laughs> and we were playing what we wanted to play. Wow. Yeah. You know. But he was really um extremely advanced and was very quiet that people that had studied with him, he knew mm-hmm. a lot about music, man. Like I said, uh he wrote hit songs and everything. So he understood a wide spectrum of music, you know. Yeah. Yeah, wow, really interesting. Yeah. Or, Orlando Murden. Orlando Murden. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts about that, about the qualities, abilities of, of writing pop songs? Does that intrigue you? Is that something that... Uh... No, it doesn't intrigue me, but, you know, uh, music uh, music is applicable to uh, all kinds of things. M- music is uh, functional. You know, that's why you have music for weddings, music to bury people with, you know, uh, music to celebrate uh, uh, high offices, you know. It's room for everything, you know. It it does different things. Music to dance, music to stop you from dancing. It was, let me tell you a funny story about yeah. uh, Sunrise. A good friend of mine said that when he first heard, heard Sunrise live, they used to practice in the garage in San Francisco. <clears throat> and he said the people would sit out in the alley 
in front of the garage door because they couldn't get in the garage. And they started playing, and the people jumped up and started dancing. And Sunrock came out of the house because here's the garage and here's the house. So he walked up, and he came out and said, Stop, what are you people doing? What do you think this is? And uh, he, he admonished the people for dancing to the music. He said, you don't see me going to the museum painting over Picasso, do you? <laughs> and so people just didn't know what to think. He said, what do you think this is, music or something? So <laughs> <laughs> he said, this is not music. This is a joyful noise. Uh-huh. <laughs> you remember that? I, I do. The joyful do. noise? yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that comes out of the Old Testament, I think, too. Right? Yeah, but yeah. And, and that in the documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, like I said, he was such a uh, long uh, term uh, thinker over uh, a wide area. When, when, I first, when I first came, met Sun Ra and that whole band and everything, and like I said, we were kids, we would be at the rehearsals, <clears throat> and Sun Ra would go off to different places, to different campuses, universities, by itself. Hmm. Uh, They would bring him all over this country to speak and to lecture by itself. Never the band. That's how he had money. He would get paid to come back. That's how he could keep up his band, because he made money talking about the things that he talked about in life. But But he didn't want to play without the band. No, he didn't. But they, they weren't going they didn't know anything about the band, but like the and Sun Ra had used to always be writing in books. He had mound, he had stacks of books, wire bound books where he was always writing theories and ideas down. Uh I don't know what happened to all those books. I, Might I still wonder. be in the house. They, Who knows? They could be, you know. The show's called Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. We are WKCR. And my guest tonight. Henry Threadgill, I'm so happy to have you here with me. Thank you again for coming through. Mm-hmm. The book is called Easily Slip Into Another World. And not, uh, go ahead. And look what you found out. Uh, we're sitting here talking about Sun Ra and John Gilmore, and then, now we come to a junction in the road with Sun Ra and Von Freeman. Yes, is yes. On the agenda. <laughs> I, have, I have a little surprise for you. Would can I, shall yeah. I share it? Yeah. Okay. This might take me just a moment to pull it up, and then we also have the Paul Blay song written by Carla Blay mm-hmm. about one of your favorite actors. Uh-huh. So we got we got a lot to do, and we only have about a half hour left in the show. So we gotta we gotta keep moving, man. You know how it is. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did put this here. Very good. Good going, Goldman. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah. Okay. Ready? Yep. Yep. Okay. Might want to put your headphones on. Here we go. So I'll leave the mic open. If you want to comment, you may. One night we played Calumet City. See, at this time, Calumet City was very infamous. Yep. And, of course, they had all these nude ladies that were dancing. All you could see was silhouettes, because you were behind a thick curtain. And, uh... Sun Ra, for some reason, refused to play for this star's tune. You know, he spoke very softly and very distinctly. I'm not going to play that music. Now, 
Calumet City at that time was gangster town. This little right. strip we on. And nobody ever said no to anybody. Because <laughs> they had a great big furnace, like right off the bandstand. And it was reported that certain persons had been missing. Sometimes they'd open up and let you see the fire. You know. So I leaned, <laughs> I leaned over and said, Son Roski, I think we, we should play this tune. He said, no. No. Now, this time I had an old car. I'm carrying the band out there. So I heard these two guys who looked like they were just out of one of the latest gangster pictures come up and they said, you mean to tell me you in Cayman City and you refused to play our stars tune? You know, he wore these big capes and he just sort of threw his cape back. And then saying, I said, son, at least tell him that I'll play it, he said. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so listen. Now, see, Sun Ra always said that he was the son of fire. Well, nobody believed him, of course. And uh, so uh, the club is going on, and I'm dreading. It's getting near 4 o'clock because you work eight straight hours. These two men had told us not to move. Then a bunch more came and stood over. I said, Sun Ra, are we going to play this tune? He said, no. Now, you did eight shows a night, and this lady had come up and asked eight times, and he had said, no. And that's probably the first time she ever heard anybody say no to her. So at 4 o'clock, which I call doomsday, I think about it now, and this was back in 1949. At 4 o'clock, he says, not to worry. All of a sudden, here comes all this screaming and hollering man it was scary and then all of a sudden here comes all this smoke well son Roy, i've been saying all through the night i hope they don't make me angry enough for me to call my my boys <laughs> by this time everybody's running out of this place everybody but us here come all these fire sirens and Sun Ra touched me on the shoulder. He said, touch the drummer. He said, we're leaving. And he took his robe and draped it and said, follow me, Vasquez. <laughs> and I said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now the place has got so much smoke that we all choking. And he walked straight out of that club to my car. So Sun Ra was, uh, he was a different type of man. <laughs> that sounds like a reasonable way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> that was Von Freeman. Fantastic. Yeah. Another another yeah. wonderful Chicago tenorist yeah. that was around the scene when my guest Henry Threadgill was coming up. Yeah. Henry's book, Easily Slip Into Another World, available at better bookstores near you this is not a little fly-by-night operation i hear this mm-hmm. uh this uh alfred a knopf mm-hmm. guy has uh, got some wheels in the business they mm-hmm. tell me major publisher right. major publishing event this book easily slip into another world and there's going to be uh one of a series of 
launch events taking place at Revolution Books here in New York City in Harlem a week from tonight, Monday, October 2nd at 7 p.m. RevolutionBooksNYC.org. RevolutionBooksNYC.org. And you're going to be there. interesting yeah. about that Von Freeman recalled that he put us in the year 49. This Gilmore could have been playing at that time with Sun Ra. He wouldn't have been playing with him. No. No. Yeah, no. Gilmore is, I think, born in 31. Yeah. 41. Well, this is this is actually it's funny. I, I kind of slid things around a little bit. Um, it was a program about it was a 1956 reunion. Yeah, but he's telling the story event. about 49. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah. So uh, Gilmore wouldn't have been in the band, I don't think, with Von no. Freeman. Yeah, because uh, I think I don't. I think he came. He probably came in there in the. I would su- suspect the mid fifties, you know, because it was um, when we used to go to those rehearsals uh, in fifty nine and sixty, because I was fourteen, f- fifteen years old and stuff. Uh, Gilmore was there, and Marshall, but. I had been in school with uh, Harry Pryor, which was the brother of Henry Pryor. And then there was um, another Pryor, very famous trombone player that had been with Sun Ra. That was, these were the Pryor brothers, you know. Henry Pryor had been with Diz with that big band. Harry Pryor was my age. He played trombone. And then he had an older brother who was in the band uh, early on. So I think it must have been maybe 53, 54 that, he, that Gilmore could have came along. You know? Yeah, that sounds about yeah. right. Did yeah. Sun Ra ever, uh, did you play with him? Did you? No, I never played with him. No, he came, they, he came to ask me to play. Uh, Pat, and, Pat and Gilmore brought him to a club I was playing with, Moo Hall, a Sunday afternoon matinee. He asked me to come with him, and I told him I had I couldn't go that I had work to do with I had stuff to finish with Muhal, you know. I'm sure and because you just didn't tell Sunrod no. <laughs> right, right. I knew I knew I shouldn't do that. I said, you know, I said, well, I have work to complete here with Muhal. He said, okay. He said, well, let me ask you this: <laughs> Does you were talking singing the praises of all these? wonderful Chicago tenor saxophonist. And mm-hmm. this is one of one tiny shard of what you'll find when you get your copy of Easily Slip Into Another World. Uh, does every one of those Chicago tenor saxophonists tell a story as well as Von Freeman? Oh, in their own way, Von, uh, yeah. Yeah. But Von Freeman, when he picks his horn up, he tells a whole nother story. Yeah, I mean, his approach is just so, um, I don't even know how to describe what Von Freeman, everything, he would put everything on his plate. Mm-hmm. That was the thing about Von, he didn't exclude things. You, that you you become aware of the fact that like you know these you, you listen to people and they have this language that they speak in well 
His language is like, everything that's out there, if I can use it, I'm going to use it, you know. And that's Henry Threadgill talking. <laughs> <laughs> is that, I mean, because that, somebody could use that same language to talk about your work as a composer. Yeah, well, I picked that up from people like that. I mean, you know, but, but it was a whole lot of things, things that he did with pitch, that all these ideas about pitch and timbre, but I became very uh, influenced by his thinking on that. You know, you that was what was so great about uh, being around all these people, you know, uh, to hear how each one of them negotiated. Eddie Harris, Eddie yeah. Williams, you know, Jay Peters, Johnny Griffin, you know, Gene Allen, that was my that was my oh, that was my my really big hero besides Sonny Rollins. It was probably those two, yeah. you know. It was funny. I mean, because it took me. A, I mean, even though I had met Train and everything, and was listening to Train, I wasn't impacted uh, till much later with what Train was doing. But it was it was Sonny and Gene Ammons when I met Train and Ornette by that point. Mm. And yeah, you, you know. said uh, in the book that. The, about the first composition that you wrote. Yeah, it was Ornette. That was the name of the first piece I wrote. Mm. What um, You talk about Ornette quite a bit in the book. Oh, yeah. Ornette was, so, was, I mean, he was revolutionary. Evolutionary and revolutionary, both. He completely overhauled, uh, quote, so-called what we call jazz. He completely overhauled it. He he took and uh, reorganized it, the elements in it, uh, and gave. I mean, it. I mean, it was like gave us a whole new way of thinking. See, this is the interesting thing that I found about Ornette when um, when we heard him. We were kids. We were still young, learning how to play, and I had already decided. I said, you know, I'm not going to play with Sonny Rollins and. All of those people, they they came from a generation I had, I came to understand. I said, you know, I never played like those people because, first of all, I wasn't born with them. And music is is played in time. It's tied up socially with your life. It's not, you'll never be able to play the way Scott Joplin played. You weren't born at that time. There's too many factors that uh, impacted how you did things at that time. You can do your best to try to copy that, but you'll never be as good as those people. And even so, if you do, you're still not doing what they did. No. And you'll always be in comparison to them. So um, I had decided, I said, well, you know, I'm not going to keep learning this music because this is what's out here in front of me, so I have to learn how to play these Charlie Parker tunes or whoever. But I said, I'm not going to be able to play like those people. So I, I was just biding my time, and then Ornette came along. Uh-huh. <laughs> the voice out of the wilderness. As soon as I heard it, I said, there it is. <laughs> and it was, I remember some other couple of young musicians. We all looked at each other and said, there's the prophet. Yeah, yeah. What, what was the first stuff from Ornette that you heard? Lonely Woman. Oh, yeah. We heard that. Yeah. We said, oh, yeah. Here we go, you know. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it was like, and then, I mean, all, and all of those pieces, you know, focus on sanity, everything, all of a sudden we said, wow, look at this. No piano, even if they had a piano. I mean, I, I heard some stuff with uh, Paul play, 
it wasn't doing this. It wasn't. Nobody was outlining chords anymore for anybody to play changes on. That was gone. Yeah. See, so like I said, on that, for us to say this is represents our life now at this time. See, it made sense, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It made sense, you know, in this uh, coming along when I was coming along. I say, yeah. This is the 58, the Russian, I mean, 54, 58, the Russians going to the moon, you know, getting the uh, overhaul of the integration system in this country. You know, all of these things occur, occurring. On that plate at the Martin Luther King speech, a lot of people don't know that. I don't think I knew that. I know it. It drove all the way from Texas with the entire band. Wow. Charlie Hayden told me that. Charlie wow. said they went there and played in a tent. Nobody knew it. They didn't even know who on that was. He said they went there and played all this wild stuff at the time that Martin Luther King gave that I, I have a dream speech. He knew that this was a revolutionary moment. Yeah. That's why he took the band, drove all the way to Washington, D.C. from Texas in the car with the whole band. I could see Charlie Yeah. harmonizing with that, all of them. All of them, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I did not know that. Were they like part of the program, or they no. just, oh, they just no. did their own thing? No, they just did their own thing. Went there wow. to be a part of that moment, because he, only knew this was a historic moment. Look how look look who was only person was missing was Malcolm X. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was the only person that was missing. Everybody else was there. Yeah, you know. Yeah, they. Yeah, well, that's a whole other story. Yeah, and you talk about you talk about all this stuff in the book. Henry Threadgill's with me. This is WKCR. The show's called Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. And Henry's, you've written this uh, heavyweight champion book, Easily Slip Into mm-hmm. Another World. Uh, there's a, an event, October 2, Monday, week from tonight, 7 p.m. at Revolution Books. And uh, the, the, the stories. I, I, this book... You haven't had the experience I'm having right now, <laughs> sitting with Henry Threadgill, hearing firsthand these astonishing stories, the grand sweep of America. It all comes through Chicago in the 50s and yeah. 60s, this time you're telling the story. And uh, you, you want to get yourself a copy of this book. <laughs> it's uh, whether, even if you... Even if you don't like the music. And, of course, we, we all love the music. We better play Fine Freeman now. Okay. <laughs> yes, you are right about that. So when uh, Henry and I were first talking about this show, and I said, who are we going to play? Because you talk about everybody in the book from Coltrane to Duke Ellington, all these people that impacted your life directly. And I'm not going to tell the story. Right. They got to buy the book to get the story. The astonishing story about what happened when you and Duke Ellington met. I'm not telling that story. <laughs> They're going to have to find out on their own. But uh, I said, who are we going to play? And you named John Gilmore, whose music we've been listening to for two and three quarters hours. And Von Freeman, who we're going to listen to for most of what's left of this right. 15 <laughs> minutes of this last hour. And um, we got, I think you have the information about yeah. it. you want to talk about that? About the information? Well, I don't really, you know more about it. Oh, okay. Than well, I yeah. It's, uh, so this is a recording from the Chicago Jazz Festival, okay. August 1984. And the really interesting thing about it, it's called Freeman Times Four. And we've got uh, not just Vaughn Freeman 
and his son, who deservedly well-known Chico Freeman, and they were working together some at this time, but also Vaughn's brothers George Freeman on guitar and Bruz Freeman on drums. Correct. And there's also Mark Thompson on the piano, Charles Say on the bass, and this is uh, this one is uh, live, unreleased, mm. deep focus special, and. Um, we once again, for your listening pleasure, not to uh, not to get into that little scrape we had earlier with the skipping CDs. So I'm setting this up for you. We got to do it right. You know what we do here, and um, it's coming through. It's coming through. <laughs> Did I mention the book, by the way? Because I'm telling you, it's a humdinger. I paid retail. I walked into into uh, Barnes & Noble on the Upper West Side. They had a stack of them right out on the ground floor in front of everybody. And I didn't even know it was coming. I grabbed it and read it and took me took me away, carried me away, as I say this as we set up this recording for you of Von Freeman. Here it comes. It's coming. No, it doesn't. Ah.
you know, you know we never talk over music on this show. Never. Simply never done. If you hear that, it can only mean one thing, which is it's time. <laughs> it's time, Henry. It's time. We, this happens every time. Three hours flies by. Yep. Feels like a minute and a half. I am so grateful to you. My guest is Henry Threadgill once again. Listen to Henry's music. Do not miss the opportunity to hear Henry Threadgill in any ensemble when he comes to your town by his music. What's the best way to find your music? Do you have a website or? Yeah, I do. You know, what's uh, HenryThreadgill.com, or you could just go to Pi Records also. Pi. 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 Pi Recordings? Pi, Pi Recordings. Pi right. Recordings. Mm-hmm. P.I. Recordings mm-hmm. is Henry Threadgill's label. And mm-hmm. how many releases do you have over there now? Quite well, a few. I don't know. Quite a few. That many. That yeah. many that you don't know. <laughs> yeah, lost count. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, I've said it I don't know how many different times, how many different ways during the show. I'm thrilled about this book. I really am, and I can't recommend it highly enough to all listeners. And if you want to hear more and hear Henry with your own eyes... Come to Revolution Books a week from tonight, October 2nd at 7 p.m. Monday night in uh, Harlem, revolutionbooksnyc.org. And uh, what else do we need to tell the folks? Oh, nothing I could think of at this at this moment. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I don't have anything else to uh, premiere in New York for the rest of this year. Well, uh, Music or interviews, etc. This show and the bookstore... That's it for this year, I think. You know. Think about who we're going to do next time. Exactly. Uh, we did Tony's <laughs> Month last time. We've got Von Freeman and John Gilmore tonight. I'll just take one more opportunity to remind you, this is going up on the Deep Focus podcast next week. Deep Focus podcast, ad-free, everything free, and uh, it's on your phone right now. You could subscribe to Deep Focus. And um, we'll let them hear last bowing out of uh, Freeman's time for. All right. And thank you. Thank you, Mitch, for having me here. Thank you so much. Henry, my house is your house, man. Any old time. Come on through. Thank you. Okay. Okay. It's WKCR FM New York. WKCR HD. WKCR.org. Music from the Freemans.
Mm-hmm.